Okay. It still says zero. Has, has any of you guys got a counter started yet? Ours never shows counters, but it says Damarado is recording the call. It said it started and now it went to that it's recording. Okay. Well, let's assume that it actually is uh, <clears throat> recording. Um, and so this is our Saturday morning chat. Uh, Friday night or Friday evening for you guys. Um, and that uh, Todd had started asking a question about um, anticipation or sitting down for meditation with the expectation of getting something, doing something, putting the mind into a certain state, all of that kind of stuff. And what I was pointing out was, is that that anticipation or that excitement is something that's trained into us in our culture. That in fact, you can see it in um, advertisements on television, that they normally have a format. And the idea is, is to get you excited and in a state of excitement and then associate that with their product. So medication, it doesn't matter what medication it is, it always shows, uh, uh, let us say, older middle-aged couple on a beach or in a forest or someplace, right? That whole shot is because that's their target audience for selling that medication. Uh, I also remember how easy it is to get dogs excited. That in fact, one of the things that I can find really interesting here with these dogs is food is about the only thing besides my coming home that will ever get them excited. Because they've never been least trained and they have freedom to go wherever they want to anyway. Um, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that. And in fact, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in his book on hunger and happiness. That in fact, um, hunger and happiness are deeply related in our culture in the sense that we get hungry for something and we take happiness from getting that which we are hungry for. And that's what we see as um, the gratification is getting that which we want. Now, there's a little bit more with that, and that is it's not only the gratification or getting what we want or having the satisfaction, it's also the anticipation. An example of that is when the guy gets his paycheck. When he gets it, that's just a piece of paper. So why is a piece of paper making someone happy is because of the anticipation in his mind of what he's going to do later now that he's got the paycheck. I have read that we get the dopamine hit from the anticipation of an event rather than the actual 
event itself or the action. Right, that there are different chemicals. That's a very good point. I'm glad that you brought that up. I was actually going to miss that one. That is actually the anticipation of um, gratification that kicks that dopamine off because that's like the last inch of the mile or is actually the motivation. Because just thinking about doing it makes us feel good. And so it's built right into the genes. It's built right in. But the way that society um, operates is, is that it uses these instincts that we have and then manipulates them. For instance, we're all territorial. We're territorial in um, uh, with territory my town, my people, the exact same way that we're territorial with objects, my laptop, my cell phone. Then in fact, if you've noticed it, have you ever, uh, because of some reason or another, used someone else's cell phone? Maybe they need Wi-Fi or maybe they need help with a program or maybe you need to use their phone or whatever like that and you use somebody else's phone and you don't like that phone. It's foreign. It doesn't operate the way my phone operates. Okay, so that whole territorial instinct that we have is a way of manipulating people because if it's mine then it's good and if it's not mine it's not good or if it's foreign it might be dangerous that instinct is what operates world politics at every level of uh unifying with one group by dividing away from another this is also what causes hierarchies to where the reality is, is that we we live interdependent. We live in a network. We don't live in a stratified society other than in the minds of the humans. And one of the ways we have uh, for centuries, many centuries placed upon uh, that hierarchy is by looking at a person, the way that they're dressed and you, you immediately know where to put them. Even weird clothes. And so uh, clothing and accessories and all of that has a way of putting us into things in the sense of our motivations or our anticipation about how we're going to deal with that person. So this whole quality of anticipation is quite a big deal. In fact, <clears throat> one, of, <clears throat> one of the most humorous ones, the one that I remember the most, is in Rocky Horror Picture Show. When the guy, uh, uh, I forgot who it is who run, runs the place, but he's about to take the, uh, uh, the mannequin doll uh, robot uh, young boy upstairs and he and he says it in the uh with the word of anticipation he said anticipate 
<laughs> anticipating. All right. So the anticipation is often better than the event. That in fact, sexuality has a whole lot more to do with anticipation because the event and then it's over. We also have that when we're thirsty, that when we drink that water or whatever that's coming in is fulfillment. And but we still keep drinking because of that feeling of anticipation. We're a little dab will do you, but we keep taking more and more because of that dopamine hit and all of that. So. Um, that's one of the things about religion is so amazing is that they want to add to multiply everything. I mean, glorious in excelsis in Deo. I mean, big, big Latin for big gods and big heavens and big Armageddon's, you know, that's the whole idea about it. And that um, uh, glorious. Um, magnificence is the kind of thing that we're looking for, but you can see that even the word glorious and, and, and magnificence has that quality of anticipation built into it. That what is glory is getting the glory. Day old glory is not glory anymore. So um, this is the way that we have structured our society, and this is one of the reasons why we are almost always left in a sense of desire is because we got our dopamine hit, which was what we were looking for, with the anticipation. But the so the lighting of the firecracker and watching the fuse. But the pop is so small. There's not much to it. Getting what we want, it, there's not much to it. And so we want something else because now we're in the habit of this wanting and this anticipation. And so this is um, uh, what we would mean then in the Buddha's language as unwholesome thoughts are all about an anticipation and getting things and whatnot like that. And so by changing the mind from unwholesome thoughts about the future, anticipation about to get something that's built really deeply now embedded into our, um, let us say part of the mind that that is intention or then uh, probably the word is samasankapa, and that samasankapa actually, um, let us say it like this, that you've got a set of scales, you know, these kind of scales, weighty, uppy, downy, okay? And everything just, and we kind of think of God as like that. And every every moment we're putting something on the scale, either heavy or light, or a good one or a bad one, right? We keep putting stuff on over and over and over again. And after a while, the scales begin to set in a certain state. 
they've reached a homeostasis because the new stuff that we're putting on small as it is does not now add much to the weight of the stuff that's already been piled up. And this is the way that we want to look at in the sense of the sand cars that we have is we built it up so that the scale naturally tilts in a certain direction. And that natural tilting of the mind is what we're talking about changing. And the way that we're going to naturally change the tilt of that mind is by start putting intentionally a whole lot of positive stuff on that thing until it begins to change the scale. Okay, so this is one of the points then is, is that every time that you have anticipation for something in meditation, you're putting it on the wrong side. But if we look at it from the other perspective of actually having a wholesome thought is about a wholesome thought about what's happening right now. And right now is good enough. That in fact, one of the things that I find that's actually very beneficial in that is never mind, I don't have to do that right now. Or what a relief it is that I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go do something for the server right now. I don't have to go feed the dogs right now. I don't have to get out of bed right now. I don't have to even go to the toilet right now. Well, let me make sure. No, I can wait again. <laughs> so that's the whole new way. So when we're beginning to sit down to meditation, we would sit down with the idea of instead of wanting to get something out of your sitting meditation, sit down with the idea of, oh, I don't have to do anything right now, not even get anything out of meditation. That I don't have to get anything out of it anymore. Because that's that anticipation of wanting something that we don't have and get anticipated so that we go get it. And then the last part of the anticipation is after we know that we are going to get it, but we haven't gotten it yet. That actually comes on a date. I don't know how many of you have been doing any dating, but there's a point on that date when you know you're going to get it, but you haven't gotten it yet. And some guys who are all so insecure, they're getting it and they don't think they're going to get it yet. <laughs> so um, that whole point then is to begin to look at these anticipations, begin to look at your own desire itself or your own wanting something or expecting to it. And this is a really, really good opportunity to do that because here we are doing this thing called meditation, which is learning to come out of expectations. And here the Western meditation system is all about getting something out of meditation. Rather than stop getting anything out of anything and just enjoy what you've already got. At this present moment is quite nice. It's quite wonderful. 
until I want something out of it. And then it's not good enough anymore. <laughs> so, this is the point about waking up. Wakey, wakey, come into this present moment knowing that I don't have to get anything out of my meditation. I don't have to get anything out of doing anything, that I can just sit here and take another breath. And if I get bored, okay, I'm bored, never mind. What is boredom anyway? It's just not paying attention. Let me pay attention and where's the boredom? And so finding a nice place to sit, and then all we have to do is remember after that that I don't have to leave. I don't have to get up. I just sit here. I don't have to turn the laptop on. Just sit. That's the whole point, is to learn that things are already right now good enough at least good enough to be a paradise may not be a heaven may not be perfect but our society teaches us to make these two things paradise and heaven enemies the good is absolutely destroyed by the perfect and so with this position we can recognize, oh no, let's go for good enough. And if we practice our good enough bar, it's pretty low. So the perfect bar, way, way up there. But paradise, that we can lower the bar, I mean, this is paradise. All we have to do is stop judging it to be not paradise. And I choose the word paradise because that introduces the story of Adam and Eve. It's right there in the Bible and the Christians miss it completely. <clears throat> and that it is, it is our knowledge of good and evil and having to put up with our decisions that we have made about what's good and bad is what destroys our paradise. Whatever paradise is in, if you don't like it, it's not a paradise. Whatever paradise you're in, if you find fault with it, that it's not good enough, it's not paradise. And here you are sitting down in paradise, wanting results out of you being in paradise. In fact, you're already in paradise. The only place to go now is out of paradise. Which is also the story of the um, pilgrim and pilgrim's progress. You know what a pilgrim is? He's the dude who's on his way to the holy site, right? Well, what happens to the pilgrim when he gets to the holy site? No longer a pilgrim. Well, is he a pilgrim anymore or not is his own mind. 
And most of us who are such a habit of being a pilgrim, once we get to the holy site, we continue to be on our pilgrimage and we'll have to leave that holy site to go to the next one. And so he winds up spending 99% of his time, more or less, between the holy sites, but at least he's touched base with several of them. And that's the way that we make progress. And here you are, pilgrim, in your holy place. You're in a shrine right now. You're in a temple of the human body. Where is there to go? Here we are. This is good enough. All we have to do is stop judging the environment that we're in. Judging the paradise. And so this is um, another way of coming back to the point of when you're sitting down for meditation, sit down <clears throat> with the idea that finally I've arrived home. I'm now in paradise. Now there is nothing left to do. And I can find it relax because everything that that needed to be done has already been done. There's nothing left to do. Except just experience and enjoy that everything needs to be done has already been done. This present moment is perfect. Whatever had happened in the past was good enough to get you here alive and safe and contented. Marvelous journey. But now we can just rest. We're at home. And that's a marvelous feeling to allow yourself just to feel at home. You're at rest. And anything that that house needs can wait. Silly things like, no, I don't have to wash the dishes right now. And no, I don't have to put ice cubes in the ice cube or water in the ice cube trays. And no, I don't have to flush the toilet. <laughs> And if you think about, look at all of these rules and all of this stuff that we're supposed to do in order to have a happy life. Turn back. No, you don't have to do anything. You're already in a sta happy state. Just sit down and relax. You don't have to attain anything. You don't have to attain any jhanas. And in fact, thinking about jhana is probably unwholesome. when you're not thinking about jhana what you are thinking about perhaps is applying the mind to the wholesome and if you're doing that you're in the jhana but if you start thinking about jhana now you're not applying the mind to wholesome thoughts anymore you're applying the mind to something you want or something you're proud of or whatever <laughs> and so um this is what happens with Western culture is they grab a hold of these words that they don't quite understand and then pop them into the cultural mentality that they already have so that jhana becomes an attainment where in fact the first jhana is being in a state to where you don't need to attain anything and there is nothing to attain.
So jhana is almost always anticipated. <laughs> and we do it through anticipation. So, Todd, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly the 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 moments that I realized what I was doing in that kind of anticipation of of you know craving some sort of state. It was exactly that sort of thing. As soon as I dropped it and felt just present and okay with the moment. Ironically, those those you know good lush feelings came on spontaneously as opposed to the contracted you know internal tension that was there before. And I found even the past couple of days I had had a longer sit, and there was some back pain. But you know I, I just watched the sensations. Like I don't you know I've been really working with uh, desire and aversion. And, you know, seeing the when the aversion to to pain comes up, what is it really? And just watching the sensations as opposed to contracting around them and being like, oh, I don't want this feeling and just being able to look at it and, you know, see see what it really is. And, and most of the time it's, you know, sort of a paper tiger. And then um, the other day I was I don't know. I, I don't know if it was a jhana specifically or whatever, but after being there for a while and just being okay with it, I could feel the sensations, but I was in a very concentrated, calm place. I could tell one of my legs was completely asleep, but it was fine. And there was just, it was just okay. I was in a very comfortable, stable place where I, I you know, I, I don't think I was, I mean, I know I was, I was awake. I wasn't like, uh, you know, drowsy or anything it was just mm -hmm. a very concentrated calm place where it was okay with the sensations that were otherwise you know considered to be uncomfortable and notice how starkly different that state is from the state of wanting something out of your meditation yeah. mm. the irony is after that the next time i sat i wanted to get to that spot <laughs> where i was <laughs> <laughs> very very common thing for students to do let's talk about back pain for just a moment because people do experience it um mostly they experience it because the back is now doing things longer periods of time and is getting tired and so uh when the old masters talk about watching the um the back pain uh there's more to it <clears throat> than what we normally uh think of is just watching it that a much better way of thinking about it rather than watching it is to think about playing with it and an example has to do with that is is that if you're sitting up straight like this then gravity is pulling us straight down. Engineers know all about centers of gravity. I mean, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't do center of gravity with everything you do, you're not an engineer. Cars are designed around center of gravity. 
And if your center of gravity is upright like this, when you're sitting upright, then that's great. So we need to uh, start to play with postures to find out what instead of all oh, this is a comfortable posture, let's experience them so that we can actually find what is a really good balance point. Now, when there is back pain, normally that happens because we're not up straight and that the gravity is pulling us in one direction or another, and then the back has to compensate for that, and that's why the back gets tired. Now, some monks can slump and be great. Westerners, for some reason, though, when they slump, their back hurts a lot. And the Buddha, um, there are some points about uh, sitting up straight, but the important point also is about comfort. And so if you can sit more comfortably by sitting up straight, then the way that we can do this is to by playing with it when the back pain comes, because that's the time that we need this most. And so that would mean then that when you're breathing in, as you're breathing in, you're breathing in in a way that it kind of raises you or straightens you out. And so we begin to sit a little taller. And then as we breathe out, we kind of relax and let that slide just a little bit. But while we're doing that in and out breathing, rising and falling with the body itself, now we can begin to play more carefully or closely with that back pain. Can we find out what muscle group it is that's in pain because it's overstressed and can we relieve the stress from that? Can we sit in a different way that changes our muscle positions a little bit? Can we actually twist and turn and get the body to relax those muscles? That this is the whole point of Anapanasati is experiencing the body. And here is a wonderful opportunity to do that. When there's back pain, experience the body, but now we're experiencing it not like a, uh, 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 I started to use the word stoic, but I'm using it in the Western mentality way of, of, of doing it, um, uptight, uh, drill sergeant uh, kind of way rather than what we're doing here is we're we're relaxing the whole point of this is to relax step four of anapanasati specifically talks about relaxing the body intentionally by knowing the body unfortunately it's gotten some pretty highfalutin translations and the highfalutin translations make this process highfalutin by using words like tranquilizing the body Right? No, we're just talking about relaxing tight muscles. Just relax. This is an ordinary kind of process. This is not highfalutin. This is not religion at all. <laughs> so, kind of up. No, go ahead. Go, no, please. I was just going to say, because I had read that if you have back pain like that, it's usually because you have weak core muscles and it's it's not supporting you. And and I found exactly what you said, that when I'm leaning forward, it hurts and I sit back up. But then I can't seem to keep the core engaged while still having like a soft 
relaxed belly because if I, you know, you breathe deeply into the belly, it's like everything collapses back down again. And I haven't figured out how to maintain structure, but also that relaxed. Because I feel like when I really I hear what you're saying, yeah. that's good knowledge for you now to say that that you can sit up. But when you sit up, that takes muscles that then you want to relax, which is like a relaxed belly. And when you relax the belly, the body falls over. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good knowledge. Here's a way of dealing with that. That in fact, um, in the West, often the idea is the more cushions, the better. That people will put cushions under their knees because their their knees have it sunken down. Well, if you're going to prop them up, how do you ever expect them to come down? All right. Here's the technique that's useful, and that is is that you do want a small rise of two to three inches of the back part of the buttocks that a regular pillow folded and folded so that you can sit on it or in the uh, for the bhikkhus, it would be the way that the large robe is folded to make it about this long, just a, a sitting cushion size. It's about this thick, about two inches big and sitting on that. But you sit on it uh, on the very, very back part of your your tailbone, this uh, right under the spine. This allows then the muscles to drop and relax so that you can in fact get the legs down. It also keeps the body wanting to uh, stay upright. Now, I would say that um, that tightening or loosening the belly muscles is optional. That the important that? thing is comfort. Yes, that's that's the cushion that we're talking about. You can also mm -hmm. take that and, and fold it. Take that round cushion and fold it and just sit on the folded part so that it elevates the butt. That right. allows then that the, for the knees to drop. If you if you have too much comfort too close out front towards the knees. So what you want to do is to actually uh, uh, put on the butt down so that it allows the legs to fall down while you're keeping the, the back straight. This is the way um, uh, that will help. Also from time to time, but we don't want to make it a, um, a crutch, but to sit uh, against a, tr uh, a tree to sit against uh, the the uh, the building uh, wall that you're on, and that and sitting next to the uh, to the wall will then allow you to play with your body to know for sure that the body is erect because it's against the wall. But it may not, even though that it's completely erect because it's against the wall, is actually completely correctly balanced. You may, in fact, want to move out against the wall so that you can relax a little better. The important part is to be both balanced and relaxed. And that's close to being completely upright, but not exactly. And so you have to learn to play with this kind of stuff. Well, guess what? If you're going to sit there anyway, why not play with this kind of thing? 
to just play with it because we're just, you know, learning how to relax the body. This is all part of uh, breathing and um, the rising and falling, by the way, does not necessarily have to be the uh, the lower abdomen. I think that that's partly a translation error that's been around for a long time. When I was in the kid in the 1960s, they called it navel gazing. Have you ever heard of that term? That fully indicates navel is down in the lower abdomen, right? This is not what we're doing. We're relaxing the whole body, not a particular area of the body. And that, in fact, uh, the relaxing of that out part of the body has to do then more with breathing. That, in fact, um, if you have been a musician, especially wind instruments, you know about or singers, they know about diaphragmatic breathing, which is exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the diaphragm, not the abdomen. Sorry about that, but the Western Buddhism, that's one of the other mistranslations. The diaphragm is a little bit above the belly area, and it's more in the in the horror here. Um, lower than lower than the tips where the sternum, that area of the body. And also get in touch with your breathing by beginning to know where your diaphragm muscles are. This is part of the rising and the falling and getting used to uh, watching what the body is doing. Um, play with the breathing. Play with very, very short, quick in breath and then a very, very long out breath. Then play with a very slow in breath followed by a very hard exhale out breath. These are some of the things that we can play with. And that will help us to understand the body. But the whole point about the understanding of the body is to find where these tensions are. That have been built up sometimes in the neck, sometimes in the lower back, sometimes it, uh, uh, back pain is not really back pain, it's kidney stones. But the kidneys are located in in close to the back very close to the middle, but actually on the right side. Um, and so that's where a lot of people have lower back pain, don't have lower back pain on their right side. They need to go to a doctor for that because they need to get that kind of stuff checked out. But um, other than that, there's uh, wherever the pain is, play with that pain making sure that you understand that you're calling that sensation in the body pain. And the word pain is loaded. And it's loaded with I don't like it. To where actually the body is just a messenger that that back pain may in fact mean uh, you've got kidney stones or it also might mean why don't you sit up straight? <laughs> so these are the things to play with, to get to know the body. 
that a lot of people don't really quite put this together, but these are the whole point about the first stage of the Kaya Nupasana is, is that we're playing with the body because we want to understand it well, because we want to understand it to make it uh, more relaxed and comfortable. And when we see the body that way, and we also see that that's also what we're doing with the mind, then we can do kind of, if you want to go back to World War II, use a pincer movement between the body and the mind to also adjust the feelings. But I'm not going to get my feelings adjusted into comfort zone if I don't already have the body adjusted into comfort zone. This is one of the problems with meditators who are sitting in pain. They're never going to get anywhere because they're already not in a comfortable position. That comfort is in fact part of the definition of the word sukha. If you don't have comfort, you don't have sukha. You can't have it. Sorry. That's just, I mean, if you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable. <laughs> and so we have to get the body into a state of comfort. And also getting the mind into a state of comfort. Well, guess what? Going back to the early part that we were talking about, and that is the state of anticipation is not a state of comfort. It's a state of excitation. And so by wanting something from meditation, you're actually going in the wrong direction. You're exciting the mind rather than telling the mind, hey, man, chill out. No place to go. Nothing to do. Just sit here and watch the body and help it relax. And when the body and the mind are together relaxed, that's when we can um, feel in our feeling system, the feeling of safety, security, comfort, and satisfaction. And those are the four ingredients. I got this right out of the Pali Dictionary. <laughs> safety, security, comfort, and satisfaction are the elements of the Pali word sukha, which is exactly opposite of the word dukkha. And so this is how we get ourselves out of dukkha momentarily. And if we can practice that at momentarily, we can do it again momentarily. And we can do it again momentarily. That's the whole process. Now, the Westerners have the idea, oh, well, I want to not just do it momentarily. I want to do it good enough so I don't have to do it anymore. And the answer to that, if you do it often enough so that it becomes second nature to you, then you don't care whether you don't have to do it anymore or not. <laughs> that you, that you want to right now not have to do it anymore because right now you can't do it. <laughs> and again, we're back into that state of anticipation. <laughs> Funny how the mind works like that. It's all backwards and things. So we have to straighten things back out by looking at how these words in Nepali um, actually operate together. So the first tetrad of the Anapanasati is to relax the body. And also the, uh, uh, the, the Sita Nupasana of understanding the, the mind. Then the next one is 
gladdening the mind or brightening the mind, which is on the way to liberating the mind and then unification of the mind. Now, that unification of the mind, that samadhi, does not mean concentration. We have to be very careful about the word concentration because it's got variety of definitions to it. And every time a student uses the word concentration, I'm listening. Yes, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> what kind of concentration are you talking about? <laughs> <clears throat> because the concentration that we're talking about, the good kind of concentration is repetition. Over and over and over and over and over again. That's the comp that's the kind of concentration that we're talking about to keep coming back. Never mind, start again. Never mind, start again. Keep coming back and rebuilding sati that way. That's the good kind of concentration. But that's not Western concentration. Western concentration is trying to take the Mickey out of it, trying to push and force and grab and anticipate and get something, right? And that this is why we mistake that word samati, because the word samati is gathering together the factors that we need. And the gathering together the factors that we need are actually very easy to do when we're paying attention. And that is when we're paying attention that it's easy to remember that I can have a wholesome thought rather than an unwholesome thought. And that's the whole key, is to coming out of the hindrances and staying out of them. That's the repetition part, is to be able to sustain it, to come out of it and to stay out of it, to come out of it and to stay out of it, to come out of it and stay out of it. What is coming out of what? Coming out of wanting something, coming out of anticipating for something. Just come out of that and be satisfied and then learn to sustain that and let that grow. So this is the way that Anapanasati is structured and that each one of these, uh, the four tetrads have four elements in it. With the body, it's the breathing in and out, long uh, and short and understanding the body, playing with the body, playing with your posture, adjusting things, finding comfort, finding safety, finding security, finding satisfaction in the body as well as in the mind so that then we can relax the, the body and relax the mind. So when the mind is now relaxed, it's liberated. And when the mind is liberated, through the lack of hindrances, that means that now all of the factors start together in the mind and the mind is unified and whole. And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa talks about it in the sense of fit for work. And now what is the work to do? <clears throat> to maintain this state. That's the only work there is to do. And to watch the arising and passing away of every little trivial thing that's going to drag you and drag you out of it.
And so I really appreciate you talking to me about the um, anticipation and the, the back pain because they're actually interrelated. Because we're doing the same things with both of them, and that is never mind the back pain, let's find comfort. Or never mind the mental pain of wanting something out of the meditation, let's just relax that too. I really appreciate all of your advice on it at all. Hit home. Thank you. Robert, do you have any comments? Uh, um, that's a good question. Thank you for asking it. I do some sometimes questions come up, but um, not not really any that come to mind at the moment. Okay. Well, great. This has been a good talk. Not as long as others, but this has been good. Anybody have any other questions? Anything to say? Eric is so blissed out, we're not going to get anything out of him. <laughs> <laughs> this has been really, really great. <laughs> That's all I got. I um, one more if you have time. Really. <laughs> if you got anything else to go on. So what was that, Todd? I said I could throw out one more if nobody else has anything or if you want to go longer or if it's up okay. to you. Okay, what's that? I was just wondering if you have any tips on sloth and torpor during it. You know, the, the, other, the other flip side of that is getting to the relaxed state and then having, you know, slipping it like very quickly, either starting to go in like a hypnagogic kind of a state or just, you know, getting really sleepy really fast and, and trying to revitalize to, to not have that happen. Okay. Um, the sutras have quite a lot to say about it. Um, the first thing that we can look at is, is that sloth and torpor actually are interrelated but different that sloth is more like laziness or how, why bother? And that this almost always comes out of doubt, which is also not just the hindrance of doubt, but it's coming from the attitude of a loser. Oh, poor me, what's the point? I'll never get anything out of this anyway. And that happens to people in a retreat. It happens a lot because they come in with anticipation of getting something, then they don't get it. And so now they get in the position of, well, I'm a failure at this or maybe next time, but I've got to put in the time now because I'm in the retreat. I don't want to quit the retreat. I want to stay in the retreat, but I'm not going to do the retreat because I'm already a failure at the retreat. So I'm just going to um, sloth my way through it. We don't have to do that in a full retreat. We can do that in other times too. We can do it during whenever we're sitting in meditation and we're being in the state of dissatisfaction. So sloth is actually quite related 
to dissatisfaction and doubt and um, the feeling of, um, uh, let, let us say, what's the use or why bother? Or I'm not going to get anything out of it anyway, but I will go through the motions. In TA, they would call this a try hard because we're trying, but not too hard. <laughs> but we want to make the show to ourselves that we're trying hard, but we don't really expect to get any success. So that's um, sloth. Torpor is different because torpor actually is sleepiness, and sleepiness has to do more with a, uh, a physical condition of the mind. They're interrelated in the sense that they wind up in both cases. Also understand that the hindrances are interrelated, as I've already pointed out, with the doubt related to the to the sloth or laziness or I don't give a damn kind of an attitude. Um, but also uh when we get really tired often we get very tired and then sleepy because we've been working too hard because we wanted something and so these hindrances will go back and forth through the meditation session we start off wanting something then we get disappointed and we can't have it and then we get lazy and we don't want to do it and then we go to sleep <laughs> or we work too hard we get really really tired and then we go to sleep so these are all the hindrances. Now, uh, what to do about both of them has to do again with moving or waking things up. Taking actually deep breaths, one of the primary ways that we do get into a state of sloth and torpor is because we are not, in fact, breathing very well. We're not thinking about it. We're not actually practicing the meditation correctly because we're in the hindrance of sloth and torpor. I mean, <laughs> that's it. So uh, the question is, can we wake up enough to at least take a deep breath or two? The next step would then be to rub the arms or to rub the limbs, to rub your knees, to get some sensation going, get it into the arms. I'm forgetting we're on a camera here. I just rubbed my legs. <laughs> uh, so we rub the legs. We can rub the body a little bit. Get some energy movement, moving the body around a bit. This, this rigid sitting still posture kind of uh, stuff that is built into the Western mindset actually is detrimental in many cases to the practice. That if you sit still, hard because you're supposed to sit still hard and that's all the proof that you've got that it's okay that you're in this meditation group is because you're sitting still but you're not practicing any meditation at all you're just sitting still then you're getting really uncomfortable that happens often <clears throat> people don't know what to do they don't know what the practice is but everybody's sitting still <clears throat> Where, in fact, many times the sitting still is the cause of the problem that we do need to move. We do need to, in fact, at Watsu and Mok, they uh, give the instructions that if the body is in pain, go ahead and stand up. Stand up behind your cushion for four, five, six breaths or something like that, and then sit back down. 
if that doesn't work, then stand up and walk to the uh, to the back of the room or even outside into walking meditation. That this whole idea of, oh, you've got to do it exactly this way. Even though you're not fit for doing exactly that, then let's have permission to do something that you actually would be beneficial to you right now. So some movement. Uh, wiping the face, taking deep breaths, rubbing the limbs, standing up, walking, all of those things will help uh, the torpor, especially the walking. The reason for the walking is because finally the guy's going to start breathing well again. Because all of the stuff that he was doing of rubbing his arms and his legs and his fans and his face and standing up and all of that, he's still not breathing. He hadn't figured that one out yet. If he'd start doing the breathing immediately, he wouldn't have to go through so much of the, uh, the other procedures. And so why is that? Well, if you start breathing well again and getting the body oxygenated again and start doing anapanasati again and start looking at your posture and all of that, you're going to wake up. You've got the oxygen. You've got the, uh, um, let us say now, uh, as it were, motivation. That you could say that sloth and torpor actually have the lack of motivation. And so you say, well, wait a minute. You just talked 10 minutes ago about how terrible motivation was and the answer to that is yeah we need to find a balance don't we there's a balance in there of just the right amount of motivation but not too much because too much motivation takes us into desire and wanting things and grasping and clinging and not enough uh, motivation puts us to sleep So that'll help you to figure it out. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll play with that absolutely this week. All right, guys. Well, let's finish this conversation then. Eric, I'm really thrilled to see you again. I mean, my heart's just a pity pat. I'm so happy to see that you're back in the what? <laughs> Great. I'm too. I'm so happy to be here. Like a great, nice, big family here. I love it. Great. <clears throat> Robert, we'll see you too, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. This is this is wonderful. Thank you. Good to see you, Todd. It's good yes. to see you, Robert. Have fun with your practice. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great week. Yeah. Bye.